Okay, we're doing our And God series. We did Samuel last week, a couple weeks. We did Samuel. He's a pretty interesting character. Now we come to a fellow by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles chapter 17 is where we'll begin in the study of a guy named Jehoshaphat. Uh, give you a little bit of information so you're up to date on what's going on. There's a split kingdom at this time. Uh, the kingdom of Israel split into two parts. The southern part was called Judah, and the northern part took the name Israel. And it became two kingdoms after Solomon's reign. And in Israel, they never had a good king. It was always bad. No matter what happened, everything up there went bad. And it started out bad and ended up bad. And uh, the, the kings especially were bad kings up there. The first one named Jeroboam uh, set a precedent. And he said, I don't want you people in my kingdom going down to Jerusalem which would be in Judah, that's where the cap, capital was and where the temple was. I don't want you people going down there, so I'm going to help you so you don't have to make the long trip. I'm going to make two places of worship, Bethel here and up here a city called Dan, and I'm going to put a golden calf in each one. And you just go worship there at the golden calf, and I'll make it convenient for you so you don't have to go all the way to Jerusalem. Well, that convenience cost dearly. Religion is not convenient. It shouldn't be convenient. And if you make it convenient, that's not what it is. Jesus died on the cross. There's nothing convenient about it. They got up and followed him. And uh, he said, come follow me. They followed him. It wasn't convenient. And whenever someone tries to make religion convenient, then they're taking you the wrong way. And so the split kingdom started out with all bad kings and through his whole history. The southern kingdom of Judah had a few good ones and a few bad ones. And we come to Jehoshaphat and God here because he's one of the good ones, probably almost one of the best ones that came out of that southern kingdom. And so he's down there in Judah, and <clears throat> he uh, has quite a story. He's a pretty interesting character. A lot of people have never heard much about Jehoshaphat. But we're going to learn about him right away. He's going to tell us a bunch of things about his character. And then some situations that he gets into and how his character gets him out of his situation, how it, it, what he believed makes him who he is. And so chapter 17 is Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 17. Starting at the first verse, Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his stead and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed forces in all the fenced cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. So uh, first thing is he becomes king. He knows that this northern kingdom is dangerous and he knows it because under his father's reign, 
His father was a king named Asa. Uh, they battled back and forth with Israel. Constant battle, constant struggle. So as soon as he becomes king, he fills up his city with armies, places armed forces in his cities to protect them because he knows that this is a bad situation dealing with Israel. He's going to do it correctly, and we'll see why here in just a minute. <coughs> Three, and the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam. No. It says of him that he was like David. David was his bloodline. All right, he's six generations away. So from David to Jehoshaphat is six generations. So he's a whatever it is, great, 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 great grandson of David. I know that my great-grandfather was a preacher. I sure would have liked to have known him. He would have long gone before I ever showed up, okay? And so the same would be true with Jehoshaphat. Of course, he doesn't know David. He never met David. And so he says, I want to be like David. I'm going to make myself like David. Now, we know what David was like because we already studied David, right? At a young age, uh, he started following God. He was a wonderful worshiper. He acted, he behaved, the Bible says, wisely. All right, and so there's a good thing. You can start out that way. And you say, well, how does he know anything? I don't know. Anything that I know about my great-grandfather is what I learned in Norway. They told me a few things over there about him, and uh, that's all. I got no way to find out. But if David's the guy, that's eh, a little different. He wrote your hymn book. All right? He wrote your hymn book. And so they can say, well, there's my great, 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 great grandfather, and open the book and sing a song written by David. So he's got... A lot of good information about David. And it says he's, he's following in his footsteps. He wants to be like David. So that means he starts young. It's an early start. Starts young following the Lord. He's right on it. He behaves himself wisely. So we know something about him. And then it says he sought not unto Balaam, but sought the Lord God of his father, walked in his commandments, and not after the doings of Israel. And so the common God that they dealt with was Baal and Ashtaroth. It was a male God and a female God. Male and female. Baal and Ashtaroth. And uh, those were the... the the false gods that the people of the land worship. And what would happen all through the reigns of the other kings, not in David's time, but after that, they start coming up. And you say, well, I need to have my crops blessed, so I'll, I'll have a little 
grove of trees up on a hill, and I'll go up there and sacrifice to Baal, and he'll bless my sheep. And I'll go up there and sacrifice to Baal, and he'll make my uh, crops grow. And so that's what they did. And uh, he says, no more Baal. We're going to get rid of that. So I want it gone. That's very important. <clears throat> All right, and he said, I'm not going to be like Israel. So he's already started his kingdom saying, yes, I want to be like David, and no, I don't want to be like Israel. We'll do the opposite of what they do. It always helps us if we pay attention in life. There'll be people that you can say, I want to be like that person. There's going to be people who say, I don't want to be like that. When I was a young kid, I had a list of eight people. There was four people I wanted to be like and four people I didn't want to be like. And you'd be surprised if you knew who was on those lists. All right? But I made the decision early. I am not going to be like that person. And I am going to be like this one. And it's nice if you have people who can say, I want to follow that example and be like that person. And so that's a very good way to live life. And Jehoshaphat said, I'm going to be like David. My great-great-great-grandfather, I want to be like him. I want to do what he does. And so he starts out going to serve the Lord, okay? Verse 4, he sought the Lord God of his father, walked in his commandments, not after the doings of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor in abundance. So he stands up for God. We're going to clean everything up, get rid of this Baal worship, and I'm going to set things right. And everybody says... We're on your side. Let's go. And so uh, he becomes wealthy because people bring him gifts. That's kind of, if you've got a good king, that was what you did. All right, Jehoshaphat, he's a very good king. Starts out very well. And it's interesting that his father, Asa, started out very well. Ended up bad. And there's a warning that we see all through Scripture of people who start out following God, and then the older they get, the more careless they become. And Asa got pretty careless at the end. Uh, He tried to uh, go in the temple and burn some incense, and they said, you can't do that. He said, yes, I can. They said, no, you can't. I'm the king. Well, you can't do that. And he ended up with leprosy. He had bad feet. And the Bible says he wouldn't ask God for help. So he went looking for doctors. You can imagine what doctors were like back then. You can imagine now sometimes what they're like, okay? Uh, Imagine back then, what's the doctor going to say? I don't know, rub an apple out of your foot or whatever. Who knows? Jump over and stand in a mud puddle. That's what things they used to say. Jump over a ditch. All kinds of crazy stuff. So he's doing that. And Asa had a prophet that came to him and said, look, you, straighten up. And he threw him in jail. He got pretty angry. So Asa ended up too bad. 
too bad when you live your life for the Lord and then you ruin it in the end. That's just, that's a shame. And it's a warning all through Scripture. Jehoshaphat takes that warning too. He's going to try to do what's right. Now, verse 6, I think, is the best one in this chapter. And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. So he removes the altars that are up on the hillside. And they had... They put big, long poles in the ground. He tore the poles out, got rid of the altars for Baal. But it says his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Now, if I ask you, has your heart ever felt down? You know what I mean. You know what I mean to feel depressed. You know what I mean to, when it's just hard and you get tired of things and you can't keep going. You know what I mean when your heart is like that. This is just the opposite. His heart was lifted up. That is, he felt great. I feel good. What made him feel good? What made him feel good was God. He loved doing what God wanted him to do. And worshiping, he just loved it. And so here's a guy who seems to be one of those people that just has a natural inclination towards God. He loves God, and his heart is lifted up. He's happy. He's happy doing the will of God, and he loves it. And the the more correct steps he makes as king, the happier he gets. And so we meet a fellow here who loves to do the will of God. His heart is lifted up, and uh, he's just got it right. And because of that attitude, he's able to be a great king. He's not miserable. Remember Saul? We talked about Saul last week. He's a miserable pain in the neck. Hard to be around. All right? Not Jehoshaphat. People would have loved him, and they did love him. They come from all over uh, to help it. Now, it's a very important thing, verse 7. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent to his princes, even to Ben-Hale and Obadiah and Zechariah and Nethaniel and Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with him he sent Levi, he's in Shemaiah and all the rest of them there. Uh, verse 10. Nine And they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them and went about through all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And so here's one of the first kings to ever really say, we're going to start teaching people. We're going to teach them the Bible. What's he got? He's got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, five books of Moses. He's got Joshua. Written probably by Joshua. Judges, written by Samuel, so he'd have that. And first and first Samuel anyway, uh, written by Samuel, all right? And so he's got six or seven books, and he says, I want you to take these books of the Bible, I want you to go to these cities and teach them. Now, this is very, very wise. Very, very wise. Because a lot of times, When we say to people, straighten your act out, get your act together, and they say, well, we're going to stop doing what we shouldn't do, then there's a vacuum in their life. 
uh, something in that they use their time for. And that they, so if these people are up worshiping Baal all the time, making the sacrifices to Baal and dancing around their Astaroth pole, doing all these things, he says, no more of that. He gets rid of everything. Well, what do we do now? Oh, I'm going to help you. I'm going to send people out and I'm going to teach you the Bible. You can't do any better than that. That's the way to do it. It's always saddened me. I've had people say, well, the Bible really doesn't do anything for me. I had somebody just recently, uh, and, they, and they, one of their family members said, uh, well, they just didn't like the Bible. They, they weren't, didn't care about it, didn't like it. And that really d discourages me. I had another person who was in a horrible struggle in their life, and I heard them talking to somebody else, they said, the Bible doesn't help me. And there are people who just can't wrap their head around the Bible. And I'm going to tell you, you don't have a choice. It's not your choice. Say, well, I like the Bible or I don't. That's not your choice. You got to get into it. You got to learn from it. Say, well, I'm not good at it. Well, that's why you come here. You come here so we can help you. We can instruct you how to do it. And I try to give you hints all along the way. Read a simpler version. Uh, look at it this way. Look at it that way. Anything I can do because it fills the vacuum. When you're going through struggles in your life where it comes up a weakness, all right, how are you going to deal with it? This is going to help you. There's nothing that helps quite like it. And so as he's sending these people around teaching him, he's going to set things correct, and people are going to now have a reason to live the way they should. And so that's a very, very wise choice. They said he was going to behave himself wisely. Well, that's how he did. All right. So he sent people out to teach the Bible, and I imagine they were good teachers. Teach the Bible. That's excellent choice. Very good choice. All right? He's doing well as a king. So naturally, God's going to bless him. Verse 10. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands <coughs> that were round about Judah. So they made no war against Jehoshaphat. So when they hear, he's teaching everybody the Bible. They go, oh my goodness. We better not bother those people. They got their act together. So they back off. They're going to stop war. Watch this. Verse 11. Also some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and tribute silver. You never heard of that any time before. Philistines are nothing but problems. Goliath was a Philistine. All right. Uh, everybody uh, was fighting Philistines. Samson was fighting Philistines. They've been fighting them for years. Jehoshaphat, he's got them bringing them silver. Not because he forced them, because they respected him. That guy's got his act together. That's pretty amazing. And he said the Arabians bought him flocks, 7,700 rams, 7,700 he goats. <laughs> That's a lot of sheep and goats, thousands of them. Here, 
Here's, uh, here's our gift to you. And that's Arabians, and they come from the other side of the Jordan River, and they're bringing him gifts. 12. Jehoshaphat waxed great exceedingly. He built in Judah castles and cities of store. He had much business in the city of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. And so he's the country is successful under him. They're making money. They're doing so well because God's blessing him. Why? Because he's doing the right thing. Jehoshaphat does the right thing, makes wise choices. I'm going to teach the whole country the Bible. You can't find it better. Down through the ages, it happened two or three times. <clears throat> uh, Joshua was one who said, get these people together and we're going to read the Bible to them. And Joshua did that. Um, Elisha set up schools and taught people the Bible. Uh, one of the most famous ones is Ezra. Ezra in the Old Testament got up and he said, I'm going to build a pulpit. First guy to ever build a pulpit. And he stands behind the pulpit and teaches the Bible. Whenever it happened, uh, uh, they were on the way up. They were doing well. So if you get the Bible into you, it's just going to be better for you. Now watch carefully, because this sounds like some information that, eh, well, who cares? And there's never that kind of information in the Bible. This is a fascinating thing. Pay attention. If you've got a pen, write it down. See if you can add it up. Verse 14. These are the numbers of them according to the house of their fathers. Of Judah, the captains of thousands, Adoniah the chief, and with his mighty men of valor, 300,000. So that's 300,000, okay? Next to him was Jehohanan, the captain, and with him, 204,000. That's 280,000. Next him, next him was Amasiah, the son of Zachary, who willingly offered himself to the Lord, and with him 200,000 mighty men of valor. 200,000 more. And Benjamin, Elida, the mighty man of valor, with him armed men with bow and shield, 200,000, 200,000 more. Next to him was Jehoiazabdad, and with him a uh, hundred and forty fourscore, or that's a uh, hundred and eighty thousand ready prepared for war. And these waited on the king beside those whom the king put in the fenced cities throughout Jerusalem. So you got three hundred thousand, two hundred eighty, two hundred, two hundred, and a hundred and eighty. That's one million a hundred and sixty thousand armed men. All right, and they're good. They're not just a bunch of yo-yos who stand around with a sword and not know what to do with it. He's got experts with bows and arrows. He's got over a million, one million one hundred and sixty thousand men prepared for battle, ready to go, set in different cities around Judah. All right, so he has a considerable army. Right? You keep that in your mind. You don't know why that means anything now. You say, why did they put those down? You will see. All right, now, we know this guy. He's got his act together. He does things well. And then all of a sudden, 
Wait a minute, what did he do that for? Verse, chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. Now, Ahab is one of these kings up in Israel. We said they were all bad, and Ahab may be probably one of the worst ones. He has the most famous wife, Jezebel. You ever heard of her? She was a nasty, nasty woman, and Ahab was just the same. And together they ruled over the northern kingdom. And it says, Jehoshaphat, this good man who lifted his heart up in the ways of the Lord, went up and joined affinity, or that is, he made a pact, an agreement with Ahab. Say, well, why is he doing that? I thought he wanted to keep Israel out. He set all these forces around to protect Israel. So why is he joining with Ahab? Well, we're going to take a guess or two. And you remember that his father Asa had war with Israel all the time. Now, you understand, they're cousins. They're cousins. They're all cousins. Down in Judah, they come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and up in Israel, they come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're all related. So we ought to be able to say, well, it's our family. Do we all fight as family members? Don't answer that. <laughs> don't answer that. All right, you don't have to. I won't make you. But you'd like to think, no, we get along. And I think Jehoshaphat said, you know, these are our relatives. We shouldn't be fighting. So we want to have peace. My father did not have peace, and it didn't end up well for him. But I think we ought to have peace. And so we can make a peace so that there's no more war between us and Israel. But he's a bad man. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 3. Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will thou go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, we will be with thee in the war. And so they're going up uh, to have a battle, a place called Ramoth-Gilead. And Jehoshaphat said, yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. It can't go good when you make a deal, a pact, with a guy like Ahab. So let's see what happens. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Well, this is Jehoshaphat. said, we ought to ask God, you know. We should have got to ask God before we go to battle, right? Okay, all right. Therefore the king of Israel gathered together the prophets, 400 men, said to them, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? 400 prophets. You understand that Ahab is a Baal worshiper. He's got 400 prophets of Baal. And they're jumping around like they always did. And they say, it's good. We're going to go to battle and win. Don't worry about it. And Jehoshaphat 
well, I kind of wanted a prophet from the Lord. <laughs> so verse 7, he knows that these guys are not. The king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we, we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> For he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil, the same as Micaiah the son of Himelah. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. So the king of Israel called for one of his officers and said, Fetch quickly Micaiah the son of Imola. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, sat together on, the, on his throne, clothed in their robes. They sat in a void place, the entering of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. These 400 guys are standing up saying their stuff. And one of them is a big cheese. Verse 10, Zedekiah the son of Chanaana had him horns of iron. He said, Thus saith the Lord, with thee shalt thou push Syria until they be consumed. So he makes a set of iron horns. He comes out, see these? See these iron horns? You're going to push Syria with these horns. <laughs> wow, very impressive. And so everybody says, you go up there, go up there. So they go get Micaiah. And they say to Micaiah, look, everybody's prophesying, go to war and win. You got to do the same thing. He said, well, I'm only going to do what God tells me. Verse 13, Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. And when he come to the king, the king said unto Micaiah, so we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And he said, go ye up and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. And he says, so what he wanted him to say, right? The king said unto him, how many times I adjure thee that thou say nothing but truth to me in the name of the Lord? <laughs> so when Micaiah comes, he says, Micaiah, what's your word? Go ahead. Might as well just go. Go ahead and you'll win, I'm sure. Off you go. He said it in such a way, so it was obvious that he wasn't, his heart wasn't in it. And so the king says, you're just pacifying me. Say what you're going to say. Say it. In 16, he said, I did see all Israel scattered on the mountain as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. Of course, the master is Ahab. He says, I see, here's what I see. The master is dead. Everybody goes home. And the king of Israel verse, said to Joshua, Didn't I tell you that he would not prophesy good to me but evil? <laughs> I told you he's going to say something bad. That's why I don't want him. He always says something bad. So how do you know whether this guy's got it together or not? All right, verse 18. Again, he said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord stop right there. How do we know Micaiah's got his act together, this prophet? He said, I saw the Lord. I saw God. There's only three other people in the Bible that say that. There's only three other ones. Hardly anybody gets to see what this guy saw. He said, well, we never heard of Micaiah. 
Yeah, but he had a vision here. Let's see what it is. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? One spake, saying after this manner, another saying after that manner. Then there came out a spirit, stood before the Lord, said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go out, be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, thou shalt also prevail, go out and do even so. Now therefore the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of your prophets. So the old guy with the iron horns comes up and punches him in the face. Says, who do you think you are? You think God left me to talk to you? <laughs> it's crazy. Now Jehoshaphat should have heard a little bell ringing. Should have heard a bell. Wait, 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 wait. We want to hear from God. That's what he started out. But he's hooked up with Ahab, and Ahab is nothing but trouble. Nothing but trouble. And so what Ahab does, says, look, we're going to battle. Never mind that guy. I put him in prison. Put him in, I don't want to hear him anymore. Put him in prison. So we're going to go to battle. We're going to win. So you wear your fancy robes in the battle. And I'm going to just wear armor like the soldiers. So what do you say, Jehoshaphat? Okay. <laughs> now you got to say Jehoshaphat is naive. He's a little naive. All right. He's got a very evil man and he's joined forces with him and now he's just set him up to get killed. It's his intention to kill Jehoshaphat in battle because he's wearing his robes of a king. And so it sounds like Ahab is setting up, he's going to take over the southern kingdom by getting rid of Jehoshaphat. Well, the armies of Syria said, we're not going to fight any battle. Find Ahab. Kill Ahab. That's it. When you come up in your chariot, you see somebody, if that isn't Ahab, go right by him. I want Ahab. Well, they can't figure it out, so they see Jehoshaphat. They ride up to him, and he starts hollering, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, that's not Ahab, and they go, leave him. Right, then somebody, just perchance, it says, uh, verse 33, a certain man drew a bow at a venture by chance and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Therefore he said to his chariot man, Turn thy hand that thou mayest carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. By accident, somebody shot him with an arrow. It's not an accident, okay? God said, you go, you die. You go, you die. There was a lying spirit sent to penetrate your prophet's minds, and your mind, too. The lying spirit was sent to you, and so you're going to die. Verity 4, as the battle increased, however, the king of Israel stayed himself with his chariot against the Syrians until the evening. About the time of the sun going down, he died. So he's dead. You say to your son, and you can't wrap your head around it. Remember last week we said King Saul asked Samuel after he was dead, 
Should I go to battle? He says, if you go to battle, you die. So he goes to battle and dies. Says, What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? All right. Uh, Ahab, shall I go fight? If you fight, you'll die. So we go and we die. He said, what is wrong with these people? You ask God, ask God what's true. Let's find out what God says. God says you're going to go to battle, you're going to die. Why do they go and die? What's the matter with them? What's the matter with them? Well, let's take a look at something. First or Second Thessalonians, over in the New Testament. The T's are all together. Timothy, Titus, Thessalonians. Thessalonians first. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Chapter two. This is a passage that Paul wrote about Antichrist. What's going to happen when he comes? Verse 9. 2 Thessalonians verse two, chapter 2, verse 9. Even him, Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved... For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You understand what happens is that people don't want to hear truth. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. Don't tell me I need to straighten my act. I don't want to hear that. And so God says, all right, if you don't want to hear it, I'm going to make it so you can't believe. I'm going to allow the deceiving nature of Satan to fill your mind, and you will believe just the opposite of what will save you. And it's because I'm doing that because you won't listen to the truth. And so I'm going to allow you to be lied to, and you're going to believe the lie. And that's what's going to happen. I think that's real prominent now. That's one of the most prominent things, I think, in our culture today. They believe a lie. And they fight for the lie. We love the lie. We're not going to listen to truth. We're going to love the lie. And so God says, all right, you won't have truth then I'm going to let you swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Now, was Ahab warned? Oh, yes. Did Ahab hear exactly how it was going to work? Oh, yes. Is it God's fault? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. It's nobody's fault but his own. Because he chose to believe the lie. All right? And so the problem is... Jehoshaphat's there, who's a wonderful godly man, and why did he do it? Why did he join with Ahab? We said, well, he wanted peace. 
Is that the way to get it? Well, let's see. Chapter 19. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. So you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't join up with these kind of people. So what do we, how do we take that? Well, some people will say, well, we'll go hide from the rest of the world. We'll put ourselves in a little cloister, and we'll get ourselves away from everybody, and then we'll all be clean. No. Jesus said, go into the world. I want you out in the world. I want you living in the world in such a way so that the light shines into the darkness. And I want you to stay in your own little hole. In the wall. That's not how it goes. All right. So how do we deal with something like this? Well, you don't join forces with them for one thing. You know, somebody comes along and says, We got a cause. You want to join our cause? No, well, no, not necessarily. I don't want to join your cause. I'm not, that's not what I am. I'm not a, looking for a cause. I got a cause. I got a purpose, a reason. Uh, and so we really have to be careful in our lives uh, that we don't do this. However, verse 3, Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, hast prepared thy heart to seek God. All right, so he says it's good. You've done well, but this is a weak point that you had, and you shouldn't have done it. And so I'm telling you now, you made a mistake. And so we have to be careful about the type of, of uh, unions we make. Uh, we're not joining with the world in what they're doing. They say, oh, they got a good cause. We got all the cause we need. We don't need anybody else's. So let's go back. Verse 4. Joshua had dwelt at Jerusalem. He went out again through the people from Beersheba to Mount Ephraim, brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He said, Judges in the land through all the fenced cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Take heed what you do if you judge not for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Therefore now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Take heed, do it. There's no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. <laughs> so he said, I'm, you guys are going to go out and be justices of the peace. You're going to be judges. And you're going to study God's word. And he picks all priests to do it so they will already know God's word. And he said, look, there's no special treatment. You don't take a bribe. Don't you dare take a bribe. You're out there to tell what God says is right. And he says, if you do it right, you'll be blessed. And so they do. So not only has he sent teachers out, now he's sending judges out to set things straight in the land. So, okay, he made a goof with Ahab. It's okay. Now what? Chapter 20. I love this story. The thing with Micaiah is great. It's amusing, okay? It's a funny story, you know. He says, I knew he was going to say something bad. It's kind of a, kind of a joke. <clears throat> I'll watch this. 
20. It came to pass also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon with them besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. And there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There comes a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria, and behold, they be in Hazazanatar, which is Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared the Lord, set himself to seek the Lord, proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So over on this side of Israel is the Jordan River, is the Dead Sea, and the Sea of Galilee. And over in here are two groups of people, uh, the, the children of Ammon, all right, and the, and the children of Moab. They're like fourth cousins once removed. That's who they are. They are descendants of Lot. Lot had two sons, and we call them Moab and Ammon. And there's a horrible story behind that. But they settled out in the desert, and they were like Arabians. There's another group, the Syrians, which is a little bit over by the, the Mediterranean Sea. And there's a third group that joins in uh, the uh, people of Edom who are descendants of Esau, third cousins once removed, all right? So they're all kind of... And when Israel came out of Egypt, they're going up to the promised land. And so they come into the land of Moab, and the children of Moab are trying to get at them, and God says, don't bother them, they're kind of relation. We're not going to bother them. Okay, next group, Ammonites. They're also a relation. We're not going to disturb them. We're going to march through their land and leave them alone. And so they do. They march by them and leave them alone. And so uh, Jehoshaphat, uh, he's thinking, why we were good to them in the past, but they're coming against me now. <laughs> so he gathers a feast. He's going to pray to the Lord at fast, I mean, throughout the whole land, get everybody together in Jerusalem, and we're going to pray. Verse 6. And Jehoshaphat said, O Lord our God of fathers, art not thou God in heaven, rulest thou over all the kings of the heathen? Thine hand there is not, is there not power in might so that none is able to withstand thee? Are not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of the land before the people of Israel gave it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, have built thee a sanctuary for thy name, saying, When evil cometh upon us as a sword of judgment, pestilent, we shall stand before this house and in thy presence. So we said, God, you gave us this land, and we said, When anybody comes, we'll stand in front of the temple and pray. So you've got the whole country there, and they're praying. All right? And he tells God, you know what happened. We didn't bother him when we came out of Egypt. And so verse 12, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Very, very great, wonderful way to pray. I've prayed that a lot of times. I don't know what to do. Lately, 
last year and a half, I prayed that a lot. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You got to just say to God, I don't know what to do. The guy who says that is saying, you, you got to help me. I don't know what to do. And Jehoshaphat says, look, God, I don't know what to do. Now, would you have said that? You got one million and 160,000 armed men who are superlative in their craft. I think any one of us would say, come on, guys, <laughs> let's show them who's who. We got 1.1 million of us. We ought to be able to handle whatever comes our way. We got the power. Not Jehoshaphat. That's why he's so wise. See, you could trust those people. You think, well, I can handle it. I can handle it. But he won't. He will not step over the bound. So why did he go with Ahab? He made a mistake. He ain't going to make the mistake again. And he says to uh, the people, look, let's pray. God, I don't know what to do. And any one of us would have said, well, hey, look. Look at these guys. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of them. Armed men, we're ready to go. Let's go. No. He says, I don't know what to do. Verse 14, then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, and so on and so forth, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. He said, hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and now King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That's good news. Not in your hands, it's in God's hands. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. You shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. He says, all right, here's the thing. I'll tell you exactly where they are. They're right by this brook. They're all gathered together, thousands and thousands of Arabs all gathered together. And I want you to go up there tomorrow. But I'm telling you, don't plan on fighting. But I got 1.1 million. No, no, no. God said he's going to take care of it. Don't plan on fighting. Okay, Saul, don't go to battle, I go on, I'm dead. Ahab, don't go, I go on, I'm dead. Jehoshaphat, go, but don't fight. <laughs> Good old Jehoshaphat, he's going to do it. He's got it. This guy really got his act together. All right. So, verse 20. 
They rose early in the morning, went forth to the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood. Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so you shall be established. Believe his prophets, so you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. You're going to put the choir in front. Get the choir singing. Put them in front. And then march out there. Yeah, well, where's the army? They're behind the choir. I like the army behind the choir. Put the choir up front. Get the army behind. And you sing. What are you going to sing? Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And these are all men singers, ladies. Just the way it was. These are men singers. You hear those male voices singing. What are they singing? The psalm. David's music. Directly from a psalm. Matter of fact, there's half a dozen psalms use the same phrase. So they're singing. Man, I don't know what I would do if I was on the other side. Let's see what happens. 22. When they begin to sing and to praise, the Lord said in ambushments, against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come out against Judah, they were smitten. He said, the Lord set up an ambush. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. There's three groups. Two groups attack one of the other groups. Wipe them out. And when they made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. So these two groups, Ammon and Moab, go against the Edomites, kill all of them. And they say, who's next? You are. And he killed the person next to him. And they keep killing and killing and killing until they're all dead. 24, when Judah came towards the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked to the multitude. Behold, there were dead bodies falling down to the earth, and none escaped. They entirely wiped out them, their own selves. These guys never even lifted a bow or an arrow or a sword or a shield. They just sang. It goes down in history, one of the great battles of all time. God did the whole thing. There's a few other battles like that where God did the fighting. This is really a, an exciting one. And so they all die. <laughs> Here's a whole valley, thousands laying there dead as they come up over the hill. So they said, well, we might as well get the, what they had. And they were four days collecting the stuff, the spoils of the battle. Big flocks and herds, they took them. They're going through, there's silver and gold, all kinds of stuff. And they're carrying away. It took them four days to empty everybody's pockets and get all the stuff and go home. <laughs> 28, when they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. They're going to play music right back to the, to the temple. And the fear of God was on all the kings of those countries when he heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet. For God gave him rest all around. So he did wonderful. Did wonderful. Because he said, it's God. Well, let God do it. I don't know what to do. Let God do it. And God does it. 
in an amazing way. Now watch this. There's a new king up north. Ahab is dead. His son takes over. Verse 35. After this did Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, join himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who did very wicked. He did it again. What are you doing? Didn't you get that? And he joined himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made ships in the Ezion Geber. So they're building a, a fleet of ships. And Eliezer, the son of Dodah of Merah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because thou hast joined thyself with Azahiah, the Lord hath broken thy words, and the ships were broken. They were not able to go to Tarshish. So God sends a storm and sinks all the ships. Told you I didn't like that when you joined with the people who were doing wrong. Told you not to do that, so why did you do it? And now you did it again, so I'm just going to sink all your ships. I think probably we're going to find an excuse. You wanted peace? All right. Peace is good. He wanted peace, but he thought maybe that if he got his act together, he could be like Solomon and rule over everything. And God says, you're not Solomon. You're Jehoshaphat. You be Jehoshaphat. Now, so they sink the ships. Say, oh, well, there you go. And you say, it's okay. He came out all right. He did come out all right, but it really... You don't know what happens if you don't pay attention to this. You've got to watch this. You've got to be careful who you join with. And here's what happens, and it's a tragic uh, postscript to the story. Chapter 20. I'm sorry, chapter 21. Verse 5, Jehoram, this is Jehoshaphat's son. Now he had a bunch of sons, and this Jehoram killed all his brothers, took over. Verse 5, Jehoram was 30 and 2 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 8 years in Jerusalem. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab. Wait a minute. Jehoshaphat's son behaves like Ahab? For he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought which was evil in the sight of the Lord. There's the tragedy of when you do the wrong thing. His son married Ahab's daughter. And what does she do? leads him around by the nose and gets him to worship Baal. He's only king for eight years, not very long, because he made his choice. I'm not going to serve the God of David, and I'm not going to serve the God of my father. I'm going to serve the God of my wife's father. This is a tragic end to the story of Jehoshaphat. And that's the trouble, see. You say to yourself, well, I can 
fool around with the people I shouldn't, and maybe I'll come out right. But your children won't. They won't. They might not. That's just so tragic. That's just so tragic. See, they might not be able to stand up like you did. They might not be able to go straighten it out and get back right with God. And so it's a horrible ending to the, this wonderful man. He's a wonderful man. But he just had that little weakness. And that weakness went full bore in his children. Full bore. And they joined completely with the Ahab who's dead. But his daughter is the queen. And so it's a tragic postscript to joining ourselves with those we should not. We should not. It's a cautious, a very cautious warning of what comes of it. And that's why I always say, be careful what you do. You think you can get away with it, you can handle it. But your children might not. It's a reason to get ourselves in check. Hang on to ourselves so that we don't pass that on. All right, thank you.